for joining us for Woke Moments, a conversation on issues and hot topics impacting young generations. My name is Janet Kelly, and I am the Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope, as well as your host. So now let's jump into a moment of awakening. Woke Moments. All right, everyone, we are live. Well, first, I want to thank everyone for joining us today for a very important conversation that we're calling Woke Moment, um, Back to School, Increasing Educational Outcomes for Students with Housing Insecurities. But one of the things that we definitely want to do before we actually start our podcast today is to set aside time to commemorate a very important person here within Los Angeles County, and that would be Kobe Bryant. Um, Kobe Bryant was a champion on and off the court. He gave up his time and talent to address issues of homelessness. And through his Kobe and Vanessa Bryant Foundation, um, they supported youth serving agencies to prevent and end homelessness. We could never forget his commitment to social justice and using his platform to advance a better society and quality of life for all people. And so today we are dedicating this podcast to Kobe Bryant to say happy birthday and also to send prayers of comfort and prayers of peace to the Bryant family who are remembering Kobe on this day. So my name is Janet Kelly. I am the executive director of Sanctuary Hope and also the host of the Woke Moments podcast. Again, um, today we are going to be talking about back to school and how we can increase educational outcomes for students who are experiencing housing insecurities. Um, a lot of times we, we tend to think about the worst case scenarios when we talk about students who are facing housing insecurities. And when I, I mentioned the term housing insecurities, I'm talking about youth who are um, homeless or houseless. I'm talking about youth who are unstably housed, as well as youth who may be, and their families that may be going or in the midst or in the throes of a crisis that may result in um, them losing their housing. And so we want to collectively think and look at ways where we could be very solution-driven and helping students um, experiencing housing insecurities. But also at the same time, we want to talk about how our communities can step up and be allies in supporting our young people. So just to share with you a little, um, some statistics, but we have experts on here who could expand on it more. In this nation, more than 1.5 million students experience homelessness. Even here within the state of California, that number is a little over 200,000. And within Los Angeles County's Office of Education, I believe the latest count was about 72,000. And in just LA USD alone, the number is over 17,000. So we do know that we have a high and significant number of students experiencing homelessness. But at the same time, we also know that we have an opportunity to drive those numbers down. And a lot of it has to do with our ability to understand the issue and provide all the navigation and support services 
so that our young people, especially during this time of COVID, don't experience learning loss, as well as um, don't find themselves getting further behind um, in their academic achievement. So today I'm very excited to have some amazing thought leaders and experienced experts in this field of housing insecurity. And um, I'm going to introduce each one of them, but they are going to do their own introductions of themselves. But I want to welcome um, Kevin Kias, who's our experienced expert today. I want to also welcome Lawrence Goss, who is our who is an Los Angeles Unified slash LACO, he'll explain it to you, um, education coordinator, as well as Earl Edwards, who is also an experienced expert, but has done a lot of work and research um, in this area in this area, so you are going to be able to learn a lot from today's discussion. And so keeping it under a minute, we need, um, I would like everyone to introduce who they are, and we're gonna start with you, Kevin. Tell us okay. who you are. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Kevin Keyes. Uh, I was uh, homeless growing up, and that's why I'm here speaking. Uh, right now, I work at a college junior as a shift leader. Uh, I'm waiting for my class because of COVID happened. Uh, it slowed down all of uh, the like classes to become GMs, but I'm one more class for a GM spot and uh, hopefully moving up to open a store. But that's, uh, that's what I do. When I was in high school, when I was homeless, I was a drum major of my uh, Inglewood High's uh, marching band for three years, and I was the captain of the volleyball team for three years. And uh, I was in all types of programs, but that's why I'm here today. Great, and we're very happy that you're here because I think you're going to be instrumental in sharing your stories as well as giving us feedback on what we need to do to help. And so next we have Lawrence Doss. Oh, hi, I'm Lawrence Doss. So like uh, Ms. Kelly mentioned, I do work for LA Unified. Um, I work for their homeless education uh, program, and they have a partnership with LACO where they place us inside uh, Two different housing agencies so i get the chance to work alongside uh, miss kelly and the staff at sanctuary of hope and at harbor interface in san pedro um i've been with la unified for five years um i enjoy it a lot um i think my personal i uh, graduated with a master's in social work from usc and um also kevin mentioned he was a drum major at inglewood high i actually referee high school football sometimes on the side so i did a few of inglewood's okay. And that band, uh, Coleman Field, the, the band is really good there. So, thank you. <laughs> and next we have Earl Edwards. Hi, so my name is Earl Edwards. Um, I'm currently a doctoral candidate at UCLA's Graduate School of Urban um, Graduate School of Education in the Urban Schooling Department. And, um, and my research focuses on students who experience homelessness and, and looking at the racial disparities that we have within that um, and also framing it within um, framing structural racism. Um, as as uh, Janet said, um, I experienced homelessness when I was growing up. So I actually was homeless for about six years on and off, living in motels, um, family members' houses, uh, shelters, um, and then also just kind of like, you know, moving around and stuff like that when I didn't want to stay with my family. And um, yeah, I use that um, experience to really inform my research and also inform my advocacy. So I'm Great. excited to be here. Thank you. 
So Kevin, let's start with you because I think you're going to help set the tone for the discussion for today. So can you tell us a little bit about what led to your um, experiencing homelessness as a student? Uh, so pretty much what happened, uh, we were pretty sad as a family. Um, to explain a uh, long story to make it short, uh, my mom was in a car accident before I was born and uh, she couldn't, uh, she was in a fatal car accident uh, and we lost my older brother. Uh, they said she could have more kids. It was, it was done, so she can't work. Um, and so she has been working for a long time and it was pretty much my dad, he's an electrician and uh, he just broke his ankle. So we had like pretty much he wasn't working at the time and then the rent, everything, bills, everything became too high. So we, we got into a hotel, but uh, we're in a heavily uh, unified church. And uh, so they're making sure we're uh, straight. And uh, some days my dad was in a boot, so he would uh, he wouldn't work in a boot. And but that would led us to be homeless. And then just from there, like uh, the economy, I think, just dropped. So it was very hard to like make money. I was too young to work. Uh, I was, I'm a younger brother. I got an older brother and we were both too young to work. So we couldn't uh, do anything of that sort. But we were going to hotel and hotel. And uh, until one day, somebody from our church was like, we have a one bedroom, you guys can stay there. And then so you gotta get on your feet. And um, it, took, it took some time. But we're in hotels for about whole nine nine months, and then we started living with them, living with them for probably maybe a couple from a couple months, maybe to four, and then we, we moved next door to them. But uh, it it was it was tough, so that's what led it. So, what would you say the day in the life was for you as a homeless student? Like, what was from the time that you woke up to the time that you kind of either left the house or, I mean, what did you do? I mean, what was what was that like for you? I was homeschooled, so I'm dyslexic. And uh, when my mom got Melkony, she couldn't really like take us to school. So she decided to homeschool. We need for online learning uh, with a program was called K-12. And at one point in K-12, I know we went to Kaplan and then from Kaplan we went to K-12. And uh, it was very hard. Like for me too, I'm dyslexic. And me trying to do a lot of the work and not having somebody really telling you this is how you're doing it right because I'm doing something for maybe a whole week wrong. And then you come back and you're doing it wrong. You send everything, you're doing an essay, you do exactly how you think you're doing it, and it's wrong. You don't have somebody personally showing you. And for me, like, I only knew, like, maybe a few words. Stop, go. It was bad. Like, it was at my level of education was not my age grade. So, um Knowing that, it was very tough. Like, as a person, like, I'm not mentally where I'm supposed to be understanding that. And, and uh, so it took a lot until I honestly got into, like, going to Starbucks for four, six hours just trying to do schoolwork was terrible. It was like, you're hearing people making drinks and calling out orders and you're trying to focus and being dyslexic and at the ADHD, it's just, you're not going to focus. You're not going to take your time. You're going to get more discouraged and, progress and uh, it was very hard. Mm -hmm. So at what point, I mean, and you, you talked about it being very hard, so at what point did you transition from homeschool into the traditional school environment? Uh, I joined Inglewood uh, my sophomore year 
and uh, I got hold back. So at this time, I'm actually 17 years old, being a sophomore. Uh, the only reason why I'm in school is because I have an IEP, and uh, and it was to, to help my uh, dyslexia. And then they were trying to sit pretty much. I didn't go to first, second, third, fourth period. I went to a one classroom, and I sat there with three teachers, and they were just getting all my homework and, and, and trying to drilling drilling everything and, and teach me correctly how to do everything from math english learning history uh science and it was very overwhelming like they they sat there and said you can't mess up no summer schools you can't fail anything if you want to graduate and uh it was a wake-up call like okay if i want to be successful i gotta knock this out right now and if i don't i'm not i'm not gonna i didn't feel like i was gonna be something like Mm -hmm. So it was more proving to me, like, I was down in my luck all my life. So this mm -hmm. is what I'm about to win. So what would you say was the most difficult or challenging thing about kind of your overall experience with, with trying to kind of complete your education? So what was the most challenging or difficult? So I was in band and volleyball. So I was in regular, regular, but, you know, I say regular people, but everybody's regular, but you know, people were not IEPs. So I would go and they would go talk about all their classes and all the work that they're getting. And I would get certain amount of work because I can't like, it, it was limited, so I can't understand it. And knowing that I'm limited in front of people that is not limited and I feel like I can do better than them. So it was more like, okay, now I'm mad and I'm, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to get this competition going. And it was just for regular school, people who didn't want to do school, I'm like, I want homework, but I can't do it like you guys can. So it was it was like a spit in my face to learn. So it took a lot of, you know what, I want to be the leader of this. I want to be the leader of this. I want to take over all this to say, because I was proven wrong all my life. So it took knowing everybody that is a regular that's not trying to be on top of it. It, it woke me up. Right. And so... Now we're in a COVID environment, and it's quite different for, I would think, for a homeless student right now. What do you think would be some of the major difficulties or challenges that would be kind of very unique to your experience? Well, for homelessness and being homeschooled, is that would be very hard. For anybody doing it right now, uh, it's just, trying to get that internet connection and everything's closed. You can't, you can't do nothing. You can't use the bathroom. So, but being home, homeless and going to school, uh, just, uh, cause at the time I was living, I think I was living with somebody and then going to school, uh, just make sure like, you don't let what's happening in your house take over school. Cause you, you will shut down. Like you, if you take all that into school and trying to hide it and trying to not act like this was happening, it's gonna like, cause you're hiding two different lives. Like I'm trying to be this person at school and I'm not, I'm not homeless and oh, I'm going to my house, but I'm, I'm not, I'm going to my friend's house. So it was like, like it, it sucks to be honest to people. They're gonna look at you different and that's when you're gonna find out who's really riding with you or not. Uh, but you, you wake up at my school, if you say, oh, I'm homeless, or I don't have this, or I don't have that, there'll be a group of 
30 people just to ready to make you feel terrible about your life. And, and then you're trying to stay away from everybody in that group because you know it's going to get tough. So it's all about like the image, the peer pressure, the look, what, what, what rep I got. And I think you, you just articulated so very well how homeless students are hidden in plain sight because you want to protect um, the fact that, or you want to uphold a certain image of yourself, number one, and you want to be able to protect that secrecy and that privacy of not having others to know that you're, you are experiencing homelessness because of the stigma, as well as how other people will treat you in that aspect. So great, thank you so much, Kevin. Oh, before, before we go to our, our, I call on our next person, can you um, share with us, what did you find very kind of hopeful in your experience? Like what were some of the things that helped you move past being homeless, move past the stigma? What, what were some of those things that were very helpful to you? Uh, it, it's funny that we're talking about Kobe because uh, that's like one of my people. That's the main person I look up to. I don't, I'm, I'm heavily in the church, so they don't say have idols. But, but the people I, like my idol, I guess, would be Kobe. Uh, I used to hear him talk uh, about he only had three hours of sleep. So I know we can't sell chips and juice, but I would I would get whatever I can get, go to uh, Smarter and Fidel, six in the morning on my bike, get another backpack, like three or four, no, three backpacks, and then ride all through Inglewood in the morning to get whatever snacks I can get and go to school and sell because it was a work mentality. It was a, even though I'm learning, I don't have money, so I got to make money. I'm not going to ask my dad for nothing because he's putting everything on the table. He's, he's, he's more working everything to get, you know, I appreciate that I see him. He's an electrician, so I'm homeschooled, so I always seen him work. I always had a working mentality. Like, my dad always sell that you're gonna work like <laughs> it's no easy money so honestly kobe was a really one of the reasons why i graduate like i cried this morning hearing you know his birthday like it, it hits me that's my my idol so his grind told me to like it, it fed me to grind great so Earl, before we um, go to Lawrence, because Lawrence can really fill us in on kind of the education supports and what he would have norm would do as far as to support a young man uh, such as Kevin. So can you share with us a little bit also about your experience, your research, and how this all kind of connects together as we're talking about going back to school and increasing um, educational outcomes for again people who are experiencing housing insecurities. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, I definitely really uh, related to to what Kevin was saying. Um, so, like I said, I, I experienced um, you know forms of like you know, housing disability um, mostly throughout my whole K like, twelve experience. I moved probably like you know sixteen to like eighteen times before I was like 18, 18 years old, and um, was you know same with a bunch of different people. And some of the things that Kevin just talked about in terms of like, I had IEP growing up, so I had uh, speech problems when I was in elementary school. Um, I'm also dyslexic. Um, when I was in 10th grade, I was reading probably around like a sixth grade level. Um, so like school was very, very hard for me. Um, in addition to trying to always kind of hide, 
you know, what was going on. And like my personal experience and also with the research I do, one of the things that, you know, students who are experiencing housing instability and homelessness is always trying to do is trying to avoid having too close of a relationship, right? I was, I was pretty popular when I was in school. I played basketball as a captain of the basketball team, I'm captain of a track team. Um, I, people, a lot of people knew me, but I didn't let people get close because I didn't want that question of, yo, can we go to your house? Or, yo, can you say, say a spot to play video games or something like that? Always trying to avoid those situations. So the best way to avoid it is to be outwardly social, but not allowing people to actually get too close where they feel comfortable enough to ask you those type of questions. Um, so that that was um, that was some of the things I had to kind of experience and, and try to navigate. As in addition to the um, the hard parts of trying to do your work. So for example, living in a shelter, um, having only like a computer room, and you, the computer was in one space, and you only had about an hour to be able to use it. And having uh, uh, you know in a family shelter, having multiple families there, and trying to figure out how can you get your time in to get your homework done. And then when you can't get your homework done, how do I tell my teacher without out of myself as being homeless, that I couldn't get my homework done, I couldn't write that essay. Um, those those things I, I was always trying to figure out how can I figure out a lie to kind of avoid uh, having that, um, that sense of shame and also um, to avoid people knowing too much information about myself. And my research kind of really um, supports that. Um, the, the students I talk to, one of the biggest things that they're trying to do is trying to navigate um, this experience with dignity and avoid um, having that stigma be, be placed upon them. Um, another big thing that my research shows is that uh, a lot of the black um, students I talked to did not get any resources under the McKinney Mental Homeless Assistance Act. So, um, so one of the policies that we have um, in place is McKinney Mental Homeless Assistance Act, which was established in 1987. And that provides certain rights um, to students who are experiencing homelessness. So for example, right to stay at the school you're at. So say you get displaced and I'm living in um, like South Central and I get pushed out to Compton as a result of displacement. I can stay at my school in South Central, and the school district is responsible for providing transportation and also making sure that I'm, I have food and everything else I need to stay at the actual school site. Um, that also is the definition we use for um, defining who is experiencing homelessness. So the number you mentioned earlier, the 1.5 million um, nationally and about the 70,000 um, local, that's based on the school's numbers under this broader definition of McKinney Vento. Which, is, which includes individuals that are doubling up and saying, well, the family members. Um, oftentimes, that number um, is not captured. So you look at the, the point in time count, we have a closer number to 5,000 youth um, eight, below 18 experiencing homelessness versus that 70,000 number that um, you mentioned earlier. So it's important to recognize those different definitions and how that plays a big factor in kind of how people think about um, housing instability. And to be honest with you, when I was experiencing um, housing instability, the doubling up with other families was the hardest hardest experience um, that I had an experience with my family experiencing homelessness. Because I had experienced um, my, my mom having to work with my cousin who was 30 at that time, and my mom actually helped raise her. And now the power dynamics in terms of who is in charge of when I have to come home, when do we eat dinner, all these different things that my mom was usually in charge of, now she has to kind of um, defer to the, the host, whoever we're living with. And so a lot of times I just didn't go home. So I was getting a lot of trouble um, because I was just avoiding going to that place because it was so crowded, didn't feel comfortable. And that talks to kind of what the conditions are right now for students who are trying to focus on school. Um, Kevin brought up a, a good point in terms of being able to stay focused on the school part and not focus on the housing part. Because um, for me, going to school was an escape, right? I was able to be there and be in my own little bubble and own world that I can create and kind of really manipulate. 
but now having to be at home and having to avoid people being able to see kind of what's going on in the next, either the next room or behind me, um, is something I will be very, very self-conscious about. I think that's something that we need to think about when we're talking about um, kids being home and doing the homeschooling and having to uh, have their Zoom screens on. So what would you say, or can you speak to, as far as even in your research, what, have, what are some of the top drivers of student homelessness? Yeah, so some of the top drivers for, um, for student homelessness is uh, mostly is uh, economic, right? Um, economic and also structural barriers. So a um, big part of it is having, um, particularly for, for Black people, is the structural racism that has an impact, impact on, on income. Um, if, you're, if you're being pushed into a, a workforce that does not provide you a living wage, it's going to be very, very hard for you to maintain housing, uh, housing for your family. And then when you think about it, especially within the terms of um, Black people, we were, um, we were regulated out of the housing market. So a lot of us are living in rented uh, apartments. So when a family member has an issue, they can't necessarily go to a cousin's house um, and stay with them without that um, stress of, you're now staying with me without being on my lease. And we now put the whole household in jeopardy of actually being evicted. And that increased, increased stress which leads to individuals being put out of those um, doubled up situations. Um, in addition to that, um, housing discrimination. So a lot of, um, especially younger, younger people and younger parents, they struggle to actually get a actual uh, to rent a house. Um, in addition with the credit um, check and background and trying to pay for the actual, um, actual form to actually even just get on the list of even to see if you can even qualify for the actual apartment. All those additional um, um, financial barriers makes it very, very hard, especially when you look at the areas that um, a lot of Black people are regulated to. Um, more, more suburban areas, you don't have as many expenses to actually get into an actual house and apartment. Um, so those conditions make it very, very hard for you to actually just transition to different places. And the last one I want to talk about is also domestic violence. Uh, a lot of families um, are, are, are fleeing households because it's not a safe environment for, for the child or for the whole entire family. And so they're leaving uh, out of distress and not having a place to actually go to and are hitting a lot of barriers when trying to actually get stable housing. Um, so those are some of the factors that are causing individuals to experience homelessness. Um, oftentimes, um, society tries to tell us that it's because they're lazy or because they have a mental health problem or because they're on drugs. Um, those are not the primary factors that are pushing people into homelessness and is regulating individuals to housing security um, long after their time on the street or in the shelter or in the car. Great. And I think I, you did a good job of that as well as dispelling some myths as it relates to students who are experiencing homelessness. So Lawrence, I mean, as, as a education coordinator um, and listening to Kevin as well as listening to Earl, what, I mean, what's happening right now? I mean, what, how, how are education coordinators like you supporting um, students who are experiencing homelessness? Awesome. So I'll, I'll say that in similar to my position, uh, all across LA County in the eight different spas, there's a coordinator just like me, uh, who are all my coworkers. And he touched on, uh, Mr. Edwards touched on the McKinney-Vento homeless legislation. So I will say that's been a major push. Um, I, I go to lots of meetings with LACO, who are over all of the schools in LA County. And the McKinney-Vento legislation also, uh, it mandates that every single school district has to have at least one identified 
you know, personnel who's responsible to make sure the McKinty Vento uh, legislation is being followed through. So, you know, if there are homeless students, making sure that they're immediately enrolled and making sure they have the supplies and resources that they need. Uh, I can say that I know LA Unified has taken an extra step instead of just having one identified person for, you know, at the school district level, which is the federal requirement, they went a step further and made sure that there is a liaison at each and every school right. uh, individually. So I think that's a very helpful uh, step. I, I took some notes too between both uh, hearing uh, Mr. <laughs> talking. So one of the things I heard also is just kind of a general sense of shame with homelessness. Right. And so I think that a lot of these districts, the push to make sure that the McKinney-Vento legislation is happening and being uh, those students are being supported. I, of course, I'm not going to make the claim that it's perfect, but I, I will say that I think that sense of shame and stigma, they're trying to address that. So like when you said, Mr. Uh, Mr. Edwards, that I didn't want my teachers to know, you know, I didn't want them to know, I, I, or I intentionally stayed away. Um, They're being trained now to know how to address that, right? Hey, if you have a student who comes to you, here's what we have here at the school site, here's what we have here in the community, so that, you know, someone in Mr. Edwards' position feel, I mean, I, you know, I can't guarantee again that sense of shame is completely gone, but hey, we're going to at least put these things in place to make sure we can kind of decrease that. Mm-hmm. Um, he also mentioned, um, the McKin- yeah, the McKinney-Vento is huge. That's that's pretty much what my job is based on. But he also mentioned, you know, moving 16 to, to 18 times. And so uh, one of the things that I'm responsible to do is make sure that in those cases, uh, you know, records get transferred in a, in a speedy manner, you know, so that Mr. Edwards doesn't have to go to the new school, if he so chooses to, um, and, and take a class over that he's already taken, you know, mm-hmm. to make sure that he has exactly what he needs, to make sure IEPs are being uh, followed properly. Uh, that's another thing that we like to do. Right. And so, Lawrence, what we're doing right now is we're um, working to pull up your. Um, oh yeah. Your your uh, JPEG that you sent us. And so, can you while it's Coming up, we would like for you to walk us through, um, we're still working on it. No problem, Mr. Edwards actually was talking and mentioned it also. Yeah, but I think it's visually, it it will be good for the audience to kind of see it, to get a walkthrough of, you know, how homelessness is defined, especially from a um, education coordinator standpoint. And so the slide is up right now. So if you can, can you walk us through this? Yes. So along the left side of of the picture are those definitions under the McKinney-Vento homeless definition, uh, where there's a bit more flexibility uh, versus the federal and the HUD definition. So uh, being doubled up, like Mr. Edwards mentioned, or uh, hotel, motel, those things qualify. Essentially, the McKinney-Vento is saying any living situation that isn't permanent or, or fixed, um, or you would even say, uh, if you slide down to the bottom where it says adequate, you know, so that, that, that may leave some room for, for subjectivity, but, you know, if it's not an adequate living situation, so yes, maybe you do have, um, maybe you do have an apartment, but it's a one bedroom and there are, you know, four or five siblings, right? So, so we would say that, that that's probably not adequate uh, based on that family so that they would still meet that McKinney-Vento definition. 
and still be eligible to receive some of those additional supports from the school site. Um, and versus when you slide over to the right side, the, uh, the federal definition, where they're a bit more, uh, you know, to the letter where it's not so much of, uh, there's some very strict definitions. So literally homeless, maybe that's in a car, an emergency shelter, a transitional home. Maybe you are imminent risk of homelessness. You are uh, maybe within the next 14 days. There, there are no other uh, resources or supports available. Um, and fleeing domestic violence is also a category of the HUD definition. And Mr. Edwards touched on that also. Now, that's another big, uh, big category that's happening right now, especially now uh, with everyone home. Everyone home and so, so Lawrence, I think it was like right when COVID hit, which was around March, and I think the schools ended up shutting down around late March, early April. Um, there was an LA Times story about 15,000 students, you know, the, I mean, LAUSD wasn't able to reach, right? And we know that access is extremely important um, right now for, for students, especially students experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. So in this present day of COVID, right, how are we connecting those young people, one, who may be disconnected as of right now, and then two, how are we supporting those who are trying to get reconnected, right, into the school system? Got it. So, so those who are already connected into the school system, making sure they have access to technology and hotspots is a big thing. Uh, so every one of our schools, the LA Unified Schools, they, they are handling that at the school level. Uh, so through their counselors and administration at the school level, they've been uh, doing pretty well lately. I know that it's not perfect, of course. Um, there are also a few providers, and I, I do have a flyer that I can probably share a little later, but a few uh, hotspot providers that are offering very either free or very, very low reduced rates on hotspots right now. But I would say the first place to go is the school site. Uh, uh, all of our school sites are, are really making a big push, whether that be Chromebooks, tablets, uh, hotspots, but they are trying to do their very best to make sure students are connected and have access. Um, and then if we go over to the category of those students who are not connected to school at all, um, you know, we do also try to help with that. So maybe it's a matter of helping to locate their records, you know, to, to try to facilitate them being enrolled faster. Uh, Mr. Edwards also touched on being able to stay at their school of origin, which is part of the McKinney-Vento legislation. So, hey, maybe I became uh, homeless while I was attending this school, but now the agency I'm working with has placed me inside of a shelter inside at this other city. You know, the McKinney-Vento legislation would say, you know, school number A, if that student chooses to remain at school number A, still is responsible for making sure they well, right now, would it be transportation because everyone's virtual, but making sure they're at least connected, um, making sure they have the supports and access that they need. Um, I know that there are a lot of school districts still offering food. Uh, I know LA Unified is, uh, they are uh, rolling out there. They did it all throughout the spring semester and the summer. Now they're transitioning a bit to where the student does need their barcode and basically that they scan when they go through. 
uh, to verify that they're a student. Um, but there are a lot of school districts still offering food and, you know, technology right now. And I just want to um, add on a couple of things. Um, one, the definition um, difference is really, really important because what ends up happening with, with families, right? Like the parent is focused on the HUD definition because that's where they're getting actual resources, right? So um, when we're trying to get on section eight, we were, we were, we we're trying to get, figure out how can we get, you know, this resource um, and, and going through the shelter was the only way we can get that in a faster rate. So we had, my mom had to know the HUD definition and everything that went with it. Yeah. She didn't know anything about the McKinney Mento because one, no one really told her about it. And two, that wasn't where the primary focus in terms of resources was actually coming from. So a lot of people don't know the McKinney Mental Homeless definition. Um, definition. Um, a lot of teachers don't know. Um, a lot of parents don't know. And, um, and very, very oftentimes only the homeless liaison is the person that actually really knows. So it's very important that we're doing a better job of actually making sure that this is a, a broader um, definition that people know about. And it's not just being held with like three or four people at a district level or within a cluster of schools. Um, and another really important point is um, trying, to, trying to figure out how to make sure that these resources are coming, but also being accommodated for people experiencing homelessness. So for example, like um, my hotspot, I was talking to a family who has a hotspot, um, currently living in a, a motel, have multiple children, and the hotspot doesn't work because multiple children are trying to use it and it's not strong enough. So they're not able to actually access the actual internet because um, you know, Zoom takes up a lot of bandwidth and I've been trying to have three people on Zoom. Even, even if you know, you're thinking about one uh, hotel room and you have corners with people all trying to have classes separately, um, them not being able to access it. So it's also important that as we talk about these resources, we're also making customized like, you know, um, systems for students who may be experiencing homelessness to also adjust and actually utilize the resources as well. So, and, um, and I'm gonna pose this question to you, Kevin, as well as Earl, because we talked about how a lot of people don't know about the resources and supports that are available. So what are ways, Kevin, as a um, young adult, and even as a, you know, a, a student you know during this time of COVID what are ways that you think are most effective in increasing awareness about resources that are available uh, wow this, that, that's a tough one because uh, just with COVID everything has been tough but I guess just like I like as young adults, just staying, staying with like social media in a sense. Cause I don't, I usually like don't like social media because I feel like it's kind of toxic. But there is a lot of good, like news things that you can find out that you're gonna, you can get food at certain places. Like my friend uh, was giving out food at Morningside High School, and uh, he even told me he's like, we got enough food for a lot of people. So if you need food, like if you don't have it because it's COVID, like just let me know. And uh, uh, we didn't we didn't go in, but just knowing that like uh, that's somebody that goes to my job regularly and, and just talks to me, and he told me about what they're doing. So I guess staying uh, don't stay discouraged, just stay encouraged and just keep trying to look because it's super easy to be discouraged. Like it will take nothing to just flip that switch and give up. But if you just keep like my mom, she she when everything was going down, 
she would find out, oh, you can do this, or we'll talk to somebody in our church, like like I said, it was heaven. Like, it's really big, so we would go to this person, and we so evolved, they would just look after us, and we would just help them back when they need it, but it's always someone you can go to, always something online that you can find. Like, my friend's in a, a place where there's a lot of a lot of family members, and they got a, a three bedroom so they can fit everybody, but it's low income. So you can find something. And I think what you also speak to is the importance of the faith community um, yeah. with helping young people who are experiencing homelessness, especially students, and how uh, many of those faith institutions are really on the front lines of providing that level of support. And I think one of the other things in our talking um, on Friday night, you know, we talked yeah. about um, Tony Newsom, right? Okay. <laughs> and how he was a very important um, mentor for you. Can you share a little bit about that? And then we'll ask you to pick up after Earl. Yeah, like uh, what I tell you, like Tony Newsom is a really good cop. So like, and especially being in Inglewood, they try like the different things about oh what what. Listen to your mentor. Like I, I know a lot of people. Like I was like in high school, I was close to Mayor Butts, and he was just w one elevator up to talk to him. And uh, I was close to him. Mr. Hutchinson was my band director. He's a, a well-known uh, band director. Uh, his dad was the first black uh, band director in Grambling State. Uh, so he uh, he was like a real good. So him and Tony Newsom were just like always telling me, "You can do this. You can do that. You can't just limit yourself." Uh, there's other people in my church I'll talk to, and uh, they just, I like that because they'll tell you straight up, they don't give your hopes up high unless you can go up there and, and mm -hmm. strive. Uh, my band director, he, he said like, oh, I, I know you feel like you have a lot of issues, but you can be at any college that you want. Right. Like, just not just about your talent, just that you have a drive. So... Like I said, not giving up and having somebody to, to like pretty much get you in that direction because you're not going to, as a student, you're not going to know which direction to go to. You want to go this because I want to be cool. I want to do this because I want to be secure. I want to do this because, oh, maybe my parent has done it. But you're finding your path and knowing what you want to do. Uh, they really like move my way into making who I am. Right, and then what you what you really described is the importance of a mentor and having a strong, caring adult in your corner to help you to succeed. Yeah, and and to, and to piggyback off of that, um, so like my research was was showing is um this thing you know focusing on this thing called um, community cultural wealth, right, and this um concept that um Tara Yoso came up with around um around. How do what is social capital and how we have multiple modes of social capital and agency within ourselves and like linguistic capital, um, social capital, navigational capital, and a lot of the stuff that um, Kevin is talking about is like mentor, right? Providing actual social capital and navigational capital, helping them get from point A to point B. Um, another capital is aspirational capital in terms of like what is the hopes that you have and aspirations and who's helping fill in that. And the church plays a really really important role within that provide you with hope and Kobe playing an important role in actually having and providing you a hope and aspiration to actually want to move forward. Um, the problem what happens a lot of times is that um, that that, sin, that capital we have 
doesn't include the school and doesn't include the McKinney mental assistance and that additional support. So for example, you might have a great mentor um, that's providing you a lot of resources. However, that would have been really, really powerful if that was also connected and combined with the supports that is under McKinney Mental Homeless Assistance Act. Or if you had an advocate that actually is advocating and making sure your school is actually utilizing McKinney Mental and actually protecting your rights. But oftentimes churches don't know about this, um, this policy. Community-based organizations don't know about this policy. And they're helping in isolation rather than actually helping as an actual overall village. So it's really, really yeah. important that we think about that. We have to be working together in unison and we can't put all the onuses on, on the youth, right? So like for me, I was very, very um, motivated and I was able to find different resources. And I got lucky with certain people that kept me on, on track. You can, it's definitely, it's apparent that Kevin's very, very motivated and has individual agency within himself to kind of push through these things. But we shouldn't have to have that, the child have to have all that agency in order to navigate it. It should be a lot more adults providing that structure and that support to really, really make sure that actually happens. Um, another big thing um, is we don't have a lot of black people at schools in a lot of our school districts. And so my research showed that most of the students I talked to weren't identified under McKinney-Vento and also had no positive relationship with teachers at their school sites. Um, and a lot of them were particularly focused on the white teachers at that school and had a lot of racial microaggressions happening to them that made them not feel comfortable talking to them about anything. They, when you ask them if they had a care and adult, a lot of them had to go back to elementary school to think of a caring teacher that they actually had. Um, so a lot of these people are cut off from actually providing the opportunity and support to actually help our students who are experiencing homelessness and housing instability. Um, so it's really, really important that our teachers within our schools and our, our administrators in our schools are actually making sure that kids have healthy, caring environments and safe and caring relationships with those individuals at that school site that they actually feel comfortable sharing this information with and also those, those individuals know how to actually help and connect them to people like Lawrence to make sure they're actually getting the services they actually need. So I just wanna make sure that we don't put this too much on the ownership, too much on the individual, and we're making sure we put it on the people who are actually in charge and making sure that uh, our kids are actually having success. Great, Lawrence, would you like to weigh in? My kids are here, so I wanted to make sure I put myself on mute. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> um, but no, they, everyone touched on a few really important things. Um, I, I really like the aspect of having the positive relationships uh, within the school community. And one of the unfortunate things uh, with the virtual environment right now with, that I really, you know, miss is that we don't have an opportunity to, you know, maybe have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with the with the coach of the band, you know, or because uh, because even I do think our teachers should have these positive relationships, but oftentimes, um, you know, this is not happening, like Mr. Edwards said. And um, I think that some of the extracurriculars have always kind of stepped into, in the, into that gap. And that's the one thing that I know, uh, as, as good as all the efforts are, that's the one thing I know that I'm really uh, going to miss right now. Right. And so we have a question from Facebook, and the question is, are there any volunteer or mentoring opportunities to support a youth seeking to connect back to school? Anyone would like to? I, I, uh, <laughs> I guess, um, 
the nature of the work that I know I do where a lot of the information is confidential. So I don't think we have too much, too many volunteers on our side, but I know a lot of the agencies that we refer to, uh, someone mentioned earlier, kind of the community safety net. So a lot of the agencies that we do refer to and work with are super, super helpful. Um, in fact, uh, prior to this uh, job with the homeless education office, I was a school-based, like the attendance and truancy counselor at Dorothy High for three years. And so one of the partnerships we had was with, uh, I'm going blank right now, West Angeles uh, Church, and they were a super positive safety net. So I wouldn't say volunteer with, maybe not with my unit per, in, in particular, but with agencies who are supporting this work. Uh, one of the things that West Angeles Church did, they, they got, I mean, two huge bins together and they had uh, hygiene kits for all of our homeless families. So they had, you know, two huge pink tubs, they had two huge uh, blue tubs. And so they separated, you know, male and female hygiene kits and they had all sorts of things. So uh, I would say that would be a really, really positive way to help. Maybe not, you know, our agency, my agency directly just because of all the confidential stuff, uh, but the agencies who support, uh, they, they were super helpful, very, very helpful. And we're one of those agencies as well, Sanctuary Hope. Yeah. Did you want to mention anything, Earl? Because ask. Yeah, Earl, I was, was going to say, yeah, Sanctuary of, of, of Hope, um, Community Coalition, Social Justice Learning Institute. Um, a lot of the mentoring programs that we already have in LA, we need individuals to step up and actually be active volunteers in those organizations. And in addition to that, school districts need to do a, need to do a better job and also need to adjust how they're actually uh, allowing those partnerships to actually help and work out. Because too often those partnerships don't work and it can't connect and connect with the actual schools and school districts. We need to really make sure we have a pipeline where they actually can all start working together. But we also need a lot more active volunteers. I was a member of Concerned Black Men our mentoring program for a long time. And one of the biggest barriers we had was trying to get into LAUSD schools to actually do the help and do the actual mentoring and support. Great. So Kevin, did you want to say anything? Because if not, we're going to move into our, our other invited guests that we are going to um, share, who's going to share a little bit about the upcoming 2020 census and why it's really important to this, this discussion that we're talking about. So, okay, yeah. do you want to share anything, Kevin? Yeah, I will share one more thing uh, about relationships with uh, people in school. Like, um, Ingwood High School, like, we're pretty uh, small school. Everybody that's been there, like, we're family members have graduated. Like, I got an older cousin graduated mm -hmm. from there, Matt. So, I I know a lot of people, one of the teachers, like I went to his wedding, like I knew him. So I'm, I've grown, grew a, a friendship and like a bond and love with all my, a lot of my teachers. Like it would be like, if something happened, I'll be there and in, anything happened, I'll be there for them. So like from my PE teacher, Ms. Gardner to history teachers, like I can name off the top of my head, a lot of teachers that I wish even crazy to say risk my life for because it was different. They, they really sit there and like, really helped there are not a lot of teachers like that trust there's a lot of other bad teachers but there's a certain few that you can tell that they had a different connection with you like one of my art teachers mr ayala he left during the middle of my year and it broke my heart so like there's like i keep in contact with them and i'll even to this day i have some of their numbers so it's about like who really wants to have a good friendship and how to even start a good friendship with a teacher it's like, how do you even, somebody's a complete stranger, I've already been told I probably can't do it in life. 
how am I actually going to connect with somebody that really wants to help? And for me, it was easy because I was, like I said, I was motivated, but other people it's not. It's very hard because it's like, you're not a family member. You're not my parent. Even though I don't listen to my parents, you're, you're not them to listen to. So why should I listen to a teacher? And that was like, when I got to get to really listening to my teachers and understanding that they're here to help and not here to judge you, mm-hmm. it became golden. I, I started to get, get past everything. I started to understand way more. I started staying 20 minutes later trying to do the rest of my tests because they're giving me more time because they know how much I want to work. So how to get a good relationship with a teacher and to, like just how to do it, really. Great. Thank you. And so we're going to move to a very important topic and the discussion we have with us, Ms. Arnetta Mack, who's representing Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC of Southern California. And we are we invited her to join this conversation, one, to share about the census, the importance of the census, especially for those of us who um, have a relationship with, within the education field and want to see those resources come to our communities to address issues such as this mm-hmm. uh, around housing insecurity. Arnetta? Hi, thank you, Janet, and I enjoyed all of you. I've been listening in since the beginning, and this has been a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for this time to talk a little bit about the census and the, and the tie-in to education. But let me just give a, just a little bit of info, general info about the census. So the census happens every 10 years. And um, it's, it's important for two reasons, resources and representation, okay? So the census determines how many congressional seats each state has, and we certainly can't afford to lose any seats. So that's, that's important on that level. It also dictates, the data dictates how the district lines are drawn on the local level. So when, um, if you're living in one uh, council district and then, or one assembly district, and then that number changes over time, that's all a, an indirect result of the census data. So that's on the political side. But then in terms of resources, the census allocates $800 billion annually, and again, for 10 years. So we won't get another shot at this until 2030, okay? So someone that's born this year, the federal funding that's allocated um, from census 2020, it's going to follow that child through fifth grade. Think about that. So those numbers get locked in for 10 years, okay? So in general, the census determines funding for hospitals, housing programs, job, jobs programs, schools, and so many others. I mean, the list is, is huge. You, you guys really need to do a little research and take a look at the full list. And keep in mind, all of that translates into jobs, right? Um, hospitals need workers and then uh, housing programs need staff. So all that translates into jobs, which is also very important because why? We're in a recession and over 40 million people are unemployed right now. So we've got to look at how we can fully recover. And so the census is going to help. And I like to talk about the census kind of like RSVPing to a party or an event. You, you want to RSVP, 
RSVP count so that you can get the right amount of food, chairs, utensils, right? So if your count is 10, you're going to prep for 10 people. But if 20 people show up, somebody's going to get shortchanged, right? They may not even have a place to sit. So it's the same with the census. An undercount yields inadequate resources for our communities. If 20 people live in a set of census tracts, but only 10,000 RSVP or complete the census, then that's a problem that impacts the whole com uh, community because it's not going to be enough funding sent there for 20,000 people. So as it relates to the topic of this conversation, so I'll just share with you some of the programs that rely on census data for funding. So temporary assistance for needy families. So that's CalWORKS in California. You all even understand the billions of dollars that come to our state for that. And, and families would, would, would literally sink without it. Some of them would. WIC, Women, Infant, and Children's from the US Department of Agriculture, that, that nutrition program. Even the special milk program for schools. They're literally counting how much milk schools need, right? Starting with Head Start. That's a federally, federally funded program. The school breakfast program. The national school lunch program. Special ed grants come from census allocation. Adult education programs. The AmeriCorps programs. I know a lot of young people... Um, they find their footing in the AmeriCorps programs, right? It's, their, it's their, their entree into a professional work setting oftentimes. Those programs are important. You go to college, federal Pell Grants, foster care, Section 8 housing. I could go on and on. So the census is really important. And Janet, if you want to put up that slide, this would be a good time if you have it handy. So if there's still time to complete the census, Deadline was extended because of the COVID environment, but you can complete it three ways. You can complete it online. You can go to my2020census.gov. You can go by phone. You can just actually call. You can call. If you haven't seen a form or you're not sure exactly you know, how you can complete it, you can you can go by phone, 844-330-2020, or if you have the form uh, at home and it's just been sitting there, you can return it by mail. So it's really important that we take this serious. We take the election serious. I know we that's our civic responsibility, but so is completing the census because um, our, our resources, our communities are really depending on it. And if you set it aside, you're really silencing your voice. You're hiding yourself. And we don't want to do that. We have to step up and be counted. We really do. So thanks for that, Janet. Any questions? Thank you. So do we have any questions for Facebook? Or do we have any questions from our, our guest today about the census? Can I add one more thing, Janet? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to say this in this, this in this setting because this is also important. The ethnicity question is important, okay? It's very important. I know some of us, for very, we, we have um, a multicultural background, um, and sometimes we like to check the other box, and that's fine. You're free to do that. You're free to be that. 
But let me just tell you how important it is to be clear about your ethnicity on this census. Let me say it simply. If you're unclear and you've got a little bit of black African blood in you anywhere, please check the black box for us. Okay, I said it. <laughs> it's important. We need our numbers up. Check the black box. If, if, if there's any ambiguity, do that. And, it, and it's going to help our, our community. And one, one more time again, Arnetta, um, can you please repeat how they can get connected again to the 2020 census? How they can connect, so online, by 2020census.gov, or they can just call 844-330-2020, or if the form is just sitting at home, mail it back. And that applies to everybody in the house, even if you you're temporary, you don't have you're not on the lease, but you still live there. You need to be counted. Nobody's gonna come after you for that. That's not what this is about. You live in a back house. If you if you if you if you're even sleeping maybe in a car in the driveway, you 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 live at that residence, and you need to be counted as well. So we want to count everybody. We don't want to leave anybody out. And the last question is what I mean? Can you clarify what the actual kind of end date is for the? I almost hate to say it because I don't want folks to wait till the last minute. It's urgent. <laughs> okay. Tomorrow. Yeah. But if we have some time. We have about a month. We have about a month left. But okay. do it right away. Do it right away. Don't put it off. Okay, great. Do it right away. And yes. so we're a little bit over for our Woke Moments podcast. So I hope that you all will bear with us another kind of about five to ten minutes because it was a lot of, I would say, um, very fruitful information and a fruitful discussion that we had. And normally, um, for our Woke Moments podcast, when we have our guests come on, we ask them to share uh, what their Woke Moment is. So there were some things that we discussed today. We talked about um, how, well, one, what is an experience of a, of a homeless student and and the supports that a homeless student needs in order to complete uh, their edu students in order for them to complete their education, whether that's a mentor, whether that's getting connected to resources, or even um, notifying or, or, or talking to someone at the school to inform the school that they're in a homeless crisis situation and that help is needed as well as some of the stigmas that are associated with being a homeless student. What I want our guests, I want to ask our guests one question, and that is, what do we need to do next? Now that we've had this fruitful conversation, what do we need to do next? So we'll start with you, Earl, then we'll do Lawrence and Kevin, you'll be the last. <laughs> Oh man, I gotta go first. <laughs> um, so I, so I think um, so. One, my my one of my work moments is you can't care about youth and children experiencing homelessness unless you care about the parents and the adults who are also experiencing homelessness as well. Uh, too often we have a negative uh, uh, stereotype about who experiencing homeless who experience homelessness, and we have a disgust to people who are experiencing homelessness, especially when it comes to adults. Um, and we, and as, as a child, why I didn't tell people was because of what I heard people talk about related to people experiencing homelessness, and usually adults experiencing homelessness. 
Um, so it's very, very important that that stigma goes away within who us in terms of the people who provide services before anything else happens. So it's really important that we recognize that. Um, second part is we need to we need to reimagine how our schools work and what it means to be a partner with our schools. Um, schools need to be a part of the community, and our communities need to be reaching out to our schools right now and figuring out how are you going to get connected to help support the school year this year. Um, teachers, I'm a former teacher as well. I taught for six years. Um, the best teacher is going to be doing everything they can to do the very, very best job possible. However, they need other people connecting with those students to make sure those students feel like they have someone that actually cares about them and that can give them that time and that, and that space to be able to talk. Um, there needs to be other organizations, especially the community organizations that I mentioned earlier, coming together with the schools to be able to make partnerships, strategic partnerships, to make sure all kids have caring adults and also are having a network of different resources that they can take advantage of. Um, churches, uh, food pantries, all those things need to be partnering with the schools. And there needs to be a dedicated person at each school making these partnerships, establishing these partnerships to make sure they actually uh, are impacting the actual students. So that's my woke moment. Lawrence? Yeah, so my woke moment, uh, I, I really love what's happening. Not moment. What you wish oh. next, and then we'll go to the woke oh, moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So uh, actionable steps. Sorry. So my actionable step, uh, Kevin mentioned that there was a certain point of time where uh, he kind of said, okay, these are what my experiences have been up until this point. And from here on out, you know, this is going to be the new trajectory. And so, uh, so actionable steps, what I really loved is that, um, you know, there, there was an initiative to say, hey, I'm going to reach out and find these people who can support me towards where I want to go. And so what I've seen is that there, you know, agencies like Sanctuary of Hope, uh, and, and several other agencies that I know are, are eager and willing to come alongside, you know, Kevin and others uh, who are experiencing uh, homelessness to say, hey, we, uh, he mentioned the three teachers, you know, who are trying to help catch up and say, we will not, you know, let you fall. And so the actionable step to me would be, you know, that decision of this is a new starting point and also finding those uh, supports. Great. And Kevin? So, what are next uh, steps? not moments, but what are next steps? Good steps. Uh, get into programs, uh, programs that you're gonna like, but programs gonna make you uh, benefit in the future. I took music because I love music and I can dance, but I took it as I, it could be my one of my ways to get into college. I don't feel like I can get into college myself, so if I get something that can get me into college and I can learn my way there, then let, let's go for it. Um, so join programs, uh, great relationships with teachers because they are great teachers out there. Uh, talk to them, find the ones that got time and, uh, build a relationship because as much as it feels like it's a waste of time for the student and even for parents that's going to teach their students to, uh, or their kids to have a good relationship with teachers, it's, uh, it's all about respect giving respect back and giving respect and just showing that you're going to listen because teachers want to see that you respect them and you're going to, you're going to listen and, and you can grow from that. That's, that's what learning is. So uh, get into programs, learn to uh, talk and have a relationship with teachers and respect. And um, don't, don't get into suck up with everything that's happening, social media or what's 
the trend at school because that's going to die out at one point in our that, that little moment of weakness or sadness that you're going to feel is going to go. It's going to probably strive to be better. Uh, don't let that take over. There's been moments where I'm feeling all bad, but now this is where I'm at, where I thought I could never be here. So take that as like a grain of salt because it's going to hurt at the moment, but it's going to make you stronger. Don't let it hurt. My three, three steps. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. You are a fine young man. Um, so, normally what we do when we are ready to close out and, and adjourn our Woke Moments podcast, we invite our guests to share with you a Woke Moment. That Woke Moment could be something inspirational. A Woke Moment could be a call to action. And normally we start out with my Woke Moment is. And so we're going to do the same um the same line where we're going to start with Earl and then we're going to go to Lawrence and then we're going to close out with you last, Kevin, with my woke moment. So let's start with you, Earl, my woke moment. Um, my woke moment is when I discovered that all the hard things I had to go through as a child and as a young person is now my, 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 my biggest strength. And when I realized that once I get through, similar to what Kevin was talking about, once I get through some of those hurdles, I now can help people get through those hurdles. But also, I know that experience to be able to actually make sure people don't have those hurdles to begin with. Um, once I realized that, um, and that's kind of, you know, and I realized that maybe like three or four years ago, um, I feel like I've been able to have a bigger impact and I have even bigger aspirations now as, um, as a person with lived experience in homelessness. Great. Lawrence? Uh, my, my woke moment is, uh, you mentioned more of a call to action. And um, I was just listening to Mr. Edwards, uh, kind of him speaking today too, and how, and just thinking my call to action being, how am I making sure that not only am I aware of resources that are available, how, but how can I make sure that these things are connecting to the people who need them the most? You know, how am I making sure that not only uh, do I know the liaisons at every school site, but how do I make sure that the liaisons are reaching out to the students that they need to? Or, you know, not only do I know which agencies in the community are available, but how do I make sure that the staff members at the school know about these agencies, you know? And so uh, I think my woke moment is more of a call to action that uh, I hear loud and clear today, just to take that extra step and go the extra mile to make sure that, you know, the services, and uh, those who need them the most are, 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 are getting them. Great. Kevin, my woke moment? Uh, my woke moment is just uh, understanding that uh, this is normal. This is not just me in this, in, in this earth doing this and feeling this. There's a lot of people around you that's probably hiding it, but it's going through the same thing. So not feeling alone and separated in, in, in your own box because if you're not going to want to get better. You're not going to want to strive. You're going to be in a dark place where you can't get out of until you realize I can. And that's going to be probably be past your time. So taking your moment and just and running with it, Tr trusting that you can actually get it done because you have times of fail. So just my woke moment is just a, Understanding this is not all my fault and how to make it better. Great. 
Thank you so much. And I want to say to the audience, I want to thank you for joining us today. Wanted to share with you that Sanctuary of Hope, as well as some of the partners that we work with within the coordinated entry system in Los Angeles are a support system as well as a resource to assist uh, students who are experiencing homelessness. One, so that if they are disconnected, we could assist them with uh, navigating to how to become connected. And for those who are currently connected, um, providing them any necessary supports that they need so that they're able to stay in school and complete their studies. So you can learn more about Sanctuary Hope and our services that are offered at our Adams location as well as our Hawthorne location by visiting our website at www.thesoh.org. So I want to thank you all for joining us. I want to thank our, our, our panel and our guests for sharing um, their expertise, uh, the experience and the work in the educational field. And I want to thank Ms. Arnetta Mack as well with Southern Christian Leadership Conference for sharing about the census. Please, everyone, please, please, please get counted. I mean, oh, we really depend on these resources, especially in education, to ensure that our young people can receive the maximum benefit uh, from it. And so with that being said, I'm closing out. Thank you for joining us for Woke Moments. Thank you for listening to Woke Moment. For more information about our organization, please visit soh.org. Subscribe to us for a woke moment wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore SOH underscore LA and on Facebook and Instagram at Sanctuary of Hope LA. Wake up!